Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today was about to retire from her Spanish teaching position at Oakland, California's Mills College when her genealogical research uncovered a Gestapo record mentioning a relative, Clara Phillipsborn, the only woman anti-fascist volunteer in the Spanish Civil War. The few details of the report led to more research, which led to her first novel, Home So Far Away. She's a translator and a former classical guitarist. She sang for years with the Oakland Symphony Chorus and is now a member of the San Francisco Bach Choir. She lives in San Francisco with her husband and extended family. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Judith Berlowitz. Thank you so much, Julia. It's wonderful to speak to you. Judith, our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, so what took you so long to write your first book? So long indeed. Uh, well, I had another life that I was that I was following, and another lifestyle, another occupation, another uh, way of thinking, uh, just a completely different existence, you might say. Well, that is typically the case with all of us over the age of 50, some of us far over the age of 50. I want to know more about this genealogical research that uncovered a Gestapo report. All right. Well, it began with, unusually, a bracelet that I was about to put on to go to a very fancy event at the San Francisco Opera. Um, it was a beautiful onyx and gold bracelet, and the note fell out of it in my aunt's, my late aunt's handwriting, saying, onyx and gold bracelet from Clara Phillipsborn, father's sister. And I thought, Phillipsborn? This was sort of a name that I vaguely recollected, but I wasn't really, really sure who that was. So I had to really find out. <clears throat> and since I was already doing my family tree and the family tree of my husband and family tree of other people that I kind of like to poke into, I went on the internet. This was, this was, this is about 20 years ago, I would say. So we did, we still had internet then. And uh, I put the notice out. I'm looking for the descendants of a Clara Phillipsborn who was, whose maiden name was Clara Gatman. And I got an, an email response saying, if you're looking for my grandmother, you have found her. The email was from a man named Tom Phillipsborn who lived in Chicago and who turned out to be my second cousin. And so uh, we got, we became friendly. And he said, 
okay, I had every every time I I go to a foreign country or for another city, I open the phone book and I look up the name Phillipsborn and I call them and say, are we related? As a result, he had collected letters, documents, all kinds of papers. And he said, I'll pay you to come to Chicago and look through my records. So I said, you don't need to pay me, uh, just pay my way. And I went to his uh, beautiful apartment on the 36th floor or something like that. And he had a room with a closet. And in this closet were just boxes and drawers full of loose papers and letters. And out of that, I tried to make some sense. So from that research, um, I, uh, I tried to put a family tree together, which I, uh, for which I use a genealogical website called genie.com. And I decided this had to be a book. So I wrote a nonfiction a sort of narrated genealogy, which I called, and this is based on the history of the family, from the family store to the House of Lords. So the family store was a tobacco and chocolate store in a little Polish village in the House of Lords. Actually, one of the descendants of the family is was and is today a member of the House of Lords in England. So I thought that was sort of a semi-rhyming cute title. So that's the genealogy part. And um, while I was doing the research, I just Googled the name Philipsborn and I came across an article in German about volunteers in the Spanish Civil, Civil War from a Northern state in Germany. And there was the name Clara Philipsborn. Wow. Since I was a Spanish teacher, fascinated by the Spanish Civil War, uh, I, I, it was sort of a part of my culture in the Bay Area because there were very many veterans who had volunteered there. I just had to know more and I had to become uh, the expert on this person. So I was teaching at the time and I had to wait till I retired to really get into it. So it was that little article about Clara that got me, uh, took me all the way to what is now her diary, which is a fictional diary. Well, that is just fascinating to me. I love how when we delve into all of these uh, backgrounds of people that we've never known, but that we're descended from what we find out. I found through DNA results that I'm not Native American, as I once thought, but I'm half Jewish. <laughs> Amazing. Well, once you wrote this book, how did you proceed? Did you search for an agent, decide to choose a hybrid, a small press, or did you self-publish? So uh, the original book, the, the genealogy, genealogical book, was a self-published book. And I had no idea about marketing or, or publicity, so it didn't exactly become bestseller. So when I wrote this book, I thought this book is more significant. And I'm going to use it. I wanted, I think I want a publisher. So I kept writing and I kept writing and the book turned out to be just enormous. I think, I mean, I don't know the amount of words. It may have been 200,000 words. Wow. Which, <laughs> so little did I know that no one in the world would want to touch that. Every publisher I wrote to said, oh, it's, it's an interesting story, but we really can't do this it's, it's a so series found, that would be three books <laughs> oh mm, that's an idea maybe maybe someday uh but i finally found a hybrid publisher called she writes press which said we love your story but like uh 
the, the baby in King Solomon, you're gonna have to cut some parts out of it. And I agreed to do that. And that's, and the result today is about half, less than half the, the size of the original. Well, she writes is certainly a very well-respected hybrid in the industry. How did you determine the plot of your book? Um, I'll, I'll answer that question by, I won't, I won't show you the t-shirt, but my husband has a t-shirt with a picture of Shakespeare. And the motto is this bleep writes itself. <laughs> and I sort of think that this book wrote itself because um, as I was doing the research, I found many documents, not many, maybe 20 of total, very sort of skeletal and conflicting documents about Clara. Uh, I, I don't want to give up too much information, but as I became sort of, um, I became familiar with her as a person just through these documents. But at the same time, I, I realized that she needed a voice and she needed someone to defend her. So um, that's, that's what drove the plot. And then the, the fact that she came from where she came from, uh, Schleswig-Holstein, the town, a town called Kiel on the North Sea, moved to Berlin and then moved to Spain in 1930. All this I got from the documents and then volunteered in the Spanish Civil War. Well, that story sort of wrote itself, but it needed an historical background. So then began the, 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 the process of very detailed research, I mean, detailed. What an intriguing woman. Yes, she was. To do all of that in the time she was living, just that is just fascinating to me. Right. She sort of lived in two worlds, which is in, in a way why uh, I, I hit on the title that I did, which is actually based on a song. Well, to write 200,000 words, you must have a definite writing routine. Or, are you a morning person or a night person? Do you write every day? <laughs> That's an interesting question because I have other, uh, I have a life like many of us do. <laughs> and um, uh, part of my life includes lots of attention and energy uh, focused on one of my children who has a severe disability. So I, when my writing time is sort of stolen, it's like stolen moments. Um, I remember getting up at four and writing and I, oh, I write during the day. So uh, I, I haven't really allowed myself a writing routine or even a writing discipline, unfortunately. Well, that happens to a lot of us. So that's, that's pretty typical. What about the editing process? When you had to cut that many words, how did you go about that? What was your editing process? So uh, through She Writes Press, I was assigned a, um, an editor, which was just invaluable. And uh, so she's made some suggestions, not all of which I followed, um, but it, it was difficult because uh, I ha would have to make the decision, does this passage really advance the theme that I want to be following? Are these characters really important? All, all those things. And I had to do a lot of what we say, killing your darlings. I had to kill a lot of darlings. I, re I, I miss them. As you talked about this series, well, that is kind of in the back of my mind as well. Maybe they'll return do you think you have another book in you? 
Um, the only uh, other book I might write is, I'll say without giving up too much information that the book ends rather inconclusively, but there are some hints that I've received since then. In order to write that other book, the sequel, as many people have said, when are you writing the sequel? Uh, I would have to maybe go to a couple of other countries, uh, find information from entities that I that are kind of off-putting. So I'm really not sure if there's another book. There may be other projects related to the book, but not necessarily another book. Well, traveling to other countries wouldn't be such a burden. Judith, I think you could manage that. <laughs> I, I definitely could. But financially, would be, it would be something. And, and there's still COVID out there, which uh, so far, poo, 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 knock wood, I've kept myself free from. Even though last night I had dreams that our whole family got it. Um, yes, I, I, I agree. <laughs> Well, what about publicity for this book? Have you found anything that works for you? Again, uh, the uh, she, write, she Writes Press uh, strongly encouraged me to find a publicist, which I did, and I was very, very pleased with her. There was a limited uh, frame of time in which she could help me. What she did, she put me in contact with some really wonderful people. I think I found you on my own, then, <laughs> though. Um, <clears throat> but uh, she got me a, a newspaper coverage and some in lots of interviews. Um, and we're still in touch, actually, which is quite wonderful in, uh, in, on a personal level. But uh, I learned a lot about what marketing is and what marketing is not. And also, I, I joined a cohort of other women who were publishing around the same time as I was, which was spring of this year. And um, some of them had had previous experience, so we kind of shared a lot of information. Well, tell us a little bit about the passage that you're going to read for us today from your book. Well, I wasn't quite sure which passage. And then I, when I was reading through the book <clears throat> and selecting passages, I realized that there was a lot, uh, there were a lot of entries. I, I don't know if I mentioned that the book is a diary. It's um, it's, it's a fictional diary, but it's in the in diary format. So there are a lot of entries from May 1st, which is traditionally uh, International Workers' Day. So I think I'll read one of the May 1st passages. And um, it's set in Madrid, and it's uh, dated May 1st, 1933. And by May 1933, Hitler was already in power, had already been appointed chancellor. So she has that perspective. <clears throat> so she's in Spain where a, a republic has just been declared since, since 1931. So Madrid, Monday, 1st of May, 1933, May Day. Oh, irony of ironies. As my adopted country emerges from the frying pan, my native land plunges into the fire. The irony intensifies with the praises by some Spanish intellectuals for, the, for German National Socialism. I am now holding a copy of the daily La Libertad with an article filed in Berlin by yet another terrifying Spaniard, Felipe Fernandez Armesto, a real name, by the way, there are actual historical characters in the book. For this writer, the fact that Hitler has proclaimed May Day as a National Workers' Day is the most natural act, and in fact, a work of art. He claims that 
logic is Hitler's forte and that the festival has become an arm of national politics. He even quotes Goebbels, all Germany must deck itself out in green garlands and national flags. And the most painful phrase of all, all Germany will live this day under the motto, honor labor and appreciate workers. I find myself gasping for breath and my eyes tearing up at such a profanation of workers day with writers like Fernandez Armesto working in socialist Spain, I realize now that the tricolored flag and the three colors are the, the three uh, colors of the flag of the second Spanish Republic shown on the front of the book here. Uh, the tricolored flag can wave over multicolored ideologies. Perhaps the red flag or perhaps even the black flag is the only one I can trust. Wow. So that's a moment in which she's politically uh, kind of vacillating and looking in different directions. That just really puts us right there. It's just such a chilling time. Indeed. It's a chilling time now. I'm pretty chilled. Yeah. Do you or did you complete your research before you began writing or did you research as you went along? I researched as I went along, and it's interesting. My husband's a writer as well, and um, I had kind of clued him in on what I was doing. And when I started to write, he said, "You're writing already, and you haven't done all the research." <laughs> no, and it kind of grew uh, as I did the research. The the writing seemed to come out of that. Uh, it, it, it the research directed me. I don't know if I directed the research. What about this second cousin where you did a lot of your research? Did, did he um, appreciate this novel that you've written? He, I, don't, I don't know if he has read it. I said it to him, but he helped me financially too. Actually, he paid for my trip to Spain to do research in some of the areas. Uh, and he's very appreciative in general. I, I haven't received a critique of the book yet. Maybe he hasn't read it. I'm not sure. He did read the genealogical book and, and promoted it really well. And we're still in touch. He's 96 years old. Oh, that's so special. <laughs> yeah. What do you think was the best money you've ever spent as a writer? Probably the money I spent to uh, get the help from She Writes Press. Otherwise, it wouldn't have become a published book. I'm, I'm sure of it. Well, it's such a, a fascinating topic, and I, I love your format. Uh, I love journals or diaries, so I think that's going to be very um, intriguing for people to be able to, to read her thoughts in her diary. I hope so. I, 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 it seems that it's a fairly unique format. In fact, when I was starting to write, I would go into bookstores and say, do you have fictional diaries? And I'd get kind of funny looks. And they were both like, well, there's the diary of Anne Frank, but it's not fiction. So, uh, yeah, I hope that, that, that people will, will hear her voice through the diary. Well, Judith, as always, our last interview question is, our writers over 50 are quite a unique set. Do you have any advice for writers 50 and above? Uh, You know, I didn't think very much of that question because I thought it would be such a natural a natural answer. Uh, but I think natural is the, is the clue. Uh, follow your nature and open your 
open your mind and um, I feel really privileged to be able to have the, the setting that, that permits me to write like this and spend the time I do on writing and publicizing the book. So just, um, boy, this sounds really uh, cliche, but follow your dreams. I don't think that's cliche at all. I think that's what all of us are doing. And some of us are reinventing ourselves after 50, 60, 70, and 80. I'm interviewing a lot of people who are still writing beautiful work. So I think for you to have such a incredible woman to write about in your, your own genealogy and your own family is, is really wonderful to draw on. So we just appreciate your being with us today and sharing your story. And we wish you much success with this book. And we're happy to say that you're now one of our authors over 50. Way over 50. And I appreciate your interest and I wish you much luck in, in this venture. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.